Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Lose Your Religion by Pastor Sean Wood. Finish off the Gospel of John this morning. Um, For those, just a quick recap. Uh, Last week um, we looked at uh, the first week we looked at the fact that we need to love one another. The major themes in the Gospel of John as we finish out the Gospel of John is that we love one another. The importance of loving one another. The importance of setting ourselves aside. Some of the important things as we work our way through the Gospel of John is you will see that Jesus is a God who is close at hand. He, he's the God of the individual. We, we looked last week at Nathaniel. We looked at, uh, we looked at the woman at the well and we looked at the man born blind. And we see that Jesus knows them intimately. And this morning I want to talk about probably the last theme really, that sums up the Gospel of John, and that is that knowing God requires that we lose our religion. Sounds funny, doesn't it? Don't we come to church to practice religion? If, aren't we listed on Facebook as a religious institution? Unfortunately, we are, but I'd rather be known something else. There was a man we're going to have a look at. We all know the story of Nicodemus, but Nicodemus was a man that was trapped in religion. And we're going to see what the difference between religion is and what relationship can look like with Christ this morning. But we face some challenges as a church. Just recently, I was disappointed to hear that there is a denomination that will allow same-sex couples to be married inside of their walls. This is, this is concerning Because as we will look at next week, uh, Genesis tells us that in the beginning God said, and there is a huge push to remove the God said part of what goes on. Let's, Let's quieten the voice of God. But the fact of the matter is, I, I thought I'll scroll through here and have a look at some of the responses to this on Facebook. And it was interesting, some of the responses. And it's interesting, really, at the end of the day, when we boil it down, when people walk through these doors, you know what, no matter what church people walk into, for us to be relevant today, people don't want to come in here and practice religion. They want to encounter God when they walk in these doors. When they are talking to you, they want to talk to somebody that has a love and grace in their heart that you can't find anywhere else because God is in your heart. We're not perfect people. We're all forgiven people. But people want to encounter God, not religion. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees. Who were these Pharisees? As we, as we worked our way through the Gospel of John, Jesus was constantly in opposition with these Pharisees. As I mentioned last week, uh, it is intriguing to me that when Jesus came and decided, you know what, I'm going to choose 12 disciples, he never went into the temple. He went and found the most holiest and devout men you could find, fishermen. Everybody said amen. Thank you. Now we can move on. 
But the Pharisees were never always bad. In fact, the Pharisees began in the time of exile. And here we find Israel is removed from their homeland about the time of Jeremiah. And uh, the, the temple is destroyed and the walls are broken down and they are now in exile. And the Pharisees begin and say, you know what? We're not in our homeland anymore, but we need to protect what is, what is us. We need to protect our identity. We need to keep the adherence of the law. And their motives when they first started were pure. But by the time Jesus comes in the first century, he would say to them, you have nullified the word of God because of your traditions. Because you want to uphold your traditions, you've now nullified the word of God and how it was intended. Nothing outrageously evil in what they did, but their hearts, as we see, were very distant from God. These Pharisees were... They found their assurance in what it was that they did. A relationship with God for them looked like ceremony and ritual. Isn't it interesting that the Pharisees, by the time the first century arrives when Jesus is here, the Pharisees, you're talking a group of people that basically lived in the temple. These guys basically never left church. To be a Pharisee, you had to memorise huge portions of scripture and you would write down the references and record them in phylacteries. And the bigger your phylactery, the more spiritual you were. These guys would officiate in in ceremonies. They were kind of in the ministry, you know. But here we find guys that never leave church, know the word of God better than anybody else. They're in the ministry, but their hearts are miles away from God. And is that possible today? Yes, it is. Talking in pastoral circles... I hear a lot of pastors saying we're facing this challenge and we're facing that challenge. And as a church, we need to, we need to be focusing on this. And as churches and as, as movements and denominations, we need to focus on this. And I've come to a conclusion. Focus on whatever you like. If God doesn't visit us in his power and in his way, nothing's going to work. We need God to move in our midst. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, we've heard of Nicodemus. Not long ago, we heard of Nicodemus. He would come with 75 pounds of spices. You only brought that amount of spices when you were coming to a royal burial. In the eyes of Nicodemus, we leave this chapter and we don't know what happens to Nicodemus. But by the time we get to the end of the gospel, we know Jesus left his mark on Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a very prominent member of the Pharisees. He's a ruler of the Jews, it tells us here. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and many, many preachers have come up with many allegories of what that meant. Maybe it was the darkness of his soul or maybe he was doing it in secret and hiding. It just simply means he didn't come in the daytime. Because it was customary that if you wanted one-on-one time with somebody in the first century, most people worked. Unemployment was very low because if you didn't work, you didn't eat. Bring that back. So you would come to somebody of a night time when everything was finished for the day. If you wanted one-on-one time with people, this is when you came to visit people. And Nicodemus is a prominent Jew. He's, he's risking a lot by doing this. He's a, he's a member of the council, the ruling council, the 71 very prominent people. And he comes to Jesus 
It's, it's important for us to note, so many people say, I've heard people say, that Christianity is for those that are down and out. You know, I used to work with guys that said, you know what, your Christianity is good for those that need a crutch. But you know what, Nicodemus didn't need a crutch. He had too, religion. He had plenty to lean on. He's a well-educated man. This is not just for those that can't think for themselves. I've heard those comments too. And next week we will see that, in fact, the more you think, it is very reasonable to call Jesus your Lord. I am a Christian today because I have good reason to believe in God and I have good reason to believe that the Bible is his authoritative word. So here we have a prominent, well-educated, high-standing man, but something is missing in Nicodemus, that he would go out of his way to seek this Jesus. Let's have a look at what his words are when he comes. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, here we have a ruler and a teacher of the Jews calling Jesus a teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Something has pricked Nicodemus in his heart. You've got something, Jesus, that I don't have. I've got my calculator out and I'm doing formulas and I've got patterns and I've got programs instituted, but I can't do what you're doing. I'm missing something. Unless God is with him. This is the inquiry of a man that is seeking. Jesus answered him, which I find very interesting because I can't remember Nicodemus asking a question. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, we all know those words, don't we? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I find this amazing that Jesus is talking to a religious leader of the day. He says, you've got to start again, champ. You need to be born again. Otherwise, you won't see the kingdom of God. Jesus always spoke about a kingdom. He spoke about the kingdom that he'd come to establish. And the kingdom of Jesus, you enter that kingdom by birth. You don't earn your way into his kingdom. You can't. You can only enter his kingdom by birth. We'll have a look more at that as we go along. What is interesting is that what Jesus did not say to Nicodemus, Nicodemus He did not say, Nicodemus, the way into the kingdom of God is that you just need to adhere to the law more. You need to to be more holier. You need to wear better clothes. You You need to sacrifice more. You need to give more into the temple treasury, Nicodemus. No, that's not what he says. He says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to lose your religion, Nicodemus. If you're going to see my kingdom, you've got to lose your religion. The kingdom of God that Jesus speaks about is something that is, uh, it's another realm. You know, when, when John in the book of Revelation, we get to chapter four and he says the door was opened. <laughs> so in other words, this realm's always there, but for a moment, John got to see into it. And you know, when Jesus comes to uh, the disciples and he says to the disciples, I will make you fishers of men. You know, I was thinking about that and pondering that during the week and I was thinking to myself, what is the one thing that I do when I catch fish? I take them from one realm and I bring them into another realm. And what is Jesus saying to his disciples? I'll make you fishers of men where you're bringing people from one realm into another realm. 
He's going to use us to do that. Isn't that awesome? But we've got to lose our religion. We've got to lose our, we've got to lose all of our programs. We've got to lose all of our systems. We've got to lose control. The kingdom of God is a completely different realm that we enter by birth. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? See the difference here? Nicodemus is going, hang on a second, what are you talking about? He's looking for a formula. Hang on, let, let me get the abacus out. There's got to be a way that I can work this one out. What kind of religious system are you talking about? Jesus is not talking about a religious system. How can these things be? Jesus is talking about the most beautiful experience that any person can have and Nicodemus is looking for a womb to climb back into. He's still stuck in one realm. He's stuck in the physical realm. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? What are you talking about, Jesus? Can he enter a second time and be born? The beauty of this is that when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he's not putting this out of reach of Nicodemus. But what we do see in the person of Nicodemus is we see a man that on the outside seems as though he has it all together, but he is just as lost as everybody else. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? In fact, it's actually the parable of the prodigal God. I'd I'd rather say the parable of the prodigal God because when we read this parable, God is the one who is extravagant. He's the one that, because he is pictured as the father that sees the prodigal son a great distance off and he he, he says, get get the ring and prepare the fattened calf. But it's actually the parable of a father and his two lost sons. Although one went away and although one would find himself amongst the pigs, but would finally come to himself and return home, we see that the brother that was always there, he was always in the presence of his father, but he was just as distant as his other brother that was sleeping with the pigs. And we can see that in his response. I've been here this whole time. And you never threw a party for me. You never let me invite my friends. And his father says, I've been here the whole time. Everything that I have is yours. He's just as lost. And Nicodemus comes to Christ. Why? Because he's lost and he says, I've got no maps here. My religious systems find me just as lost as I was before. What do I have to do, Jesus? And he can't understand that Christianity and this new kingdom of Christ will be spelt D-O-N-E, not D-O. You see, the gospel, friends, and we're going to get to the gospel as we round this out, but the gospel is good news, it's not advice. Why? Because advice is counsel for something you need to do now. Good news is something that has been accomplished. News is accomplishment. We, we, we tell somebody about something that has already happened. I've got good news for you. Your salvation has already happened. You just have to accept it. Relationship with God has been made possible. You just have to surrender. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the spirit, and I'll press the pause button here for a moment, water and the spirit doesn't mean you have to be baptised to be saved. I'm going to press the pause button because a lot of people say that. See, you you have to be baptised to be saved. No, that's not what this means. 
Why? There's no weight here. Jesus doesn't speak about this concerning entering the kingdom of God. There is, a, there is a definite repentance is what he's talking about here. There is a definite action on our part where we repent and there's a cleansing certainly of us. This, this cleansing that even Ezekiel speaks about. The regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit. You can't manufacture it. But we're going to get to that very soon. So why are we baptised? Why do we get baptised in water? We get baptised in water as an outward sign of an inward truth. In other words, when we are baptised, we are saying, God has done a transforming work on the inside of me, and this is an outward sign of an inward divine truth that has happened inside of me. We are baptised because we are saved, not to obtain it. Unless one is born of the water of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The you there is plural. He's speaking you, as in Israel, as a whole. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And this is the wonderful, mysterious aspect of God. The wind blows wherever it desires. You can't put God in a box. You can't set the parameters. You can't set the boundaries and say, you move inside of that. Because the wind blows wherever it wants to blow. We just have the opportunity of feeling its power. If we walked outside now and the wind was howling, you would see the trees moving. You would see leaves moving. It would press upon you. You would definitely feel the power of that wind, but you have no control over it. It starts where it wants to. It ends where it wants to. It'll blow from whatever direction it blows from, and you can't change that. This is the mysterious aspect of God. And what does it say? It says entering the kingdom of God looks like you have to lose control. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, you want to enter the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, you've got to get out of the driver's seat, champ, and jump in the back seat. And isn't all of our lives, don't we wrestle God for the front seat, all of our lives? My boys do it now. You know, when, whenever I say we're going somewhere, there's a mad rush for the car. Who's going to get the front seat? And there's only three boys, so I can fit them all on the back if I have to. <laughs> And the three boys rush for the car, one of them gets the front seat and then my sister walks out and all of them lose. My sister, my daughter walks out, their sister walks out and all of them lose. No one fights my daughter for the front seat. (laughs) Not even me. But don't we try to wrestle control back from God for the rest of our lives where we, we come into relationship with him and we say, yeah, but, uh, but I want to have control. I, I want to fly the plane for a little while. God says, you know what? You can have relationship with me, but I need you to surrender. I need you to get out of the pilot seat, Nicodemus. I need you to put the calculator away. I need you to stop trying to work it all out. Us men are like that too. We try to work everything out. We've got to have an answer for everything. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is still lost, you know. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? 
How can these things be? He looks godly, but he is still lost. He, he looks like he's fulfilled his whole life, but he's still empty. And without God, we are empty. Without the reality and the presence of God, we will always be empty. Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things possibly be? What are you talking about? I don't want to lose control. I want to speak about formulas just for a moment. Whenever we attempt to reduce God down to a formula or a pattern, you're wrong. You can't do it. Whenever you say, here's a five-step program for spiritual transformation, you, you can't do it. Here's, here, look, we've got promises in the Bible. I get that. We've got promises that say, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And you can take that to the bank and cash it. But if you think that you can put God in a box and tell him how he's going to do everything, you're wrong. Nicodemus, you've got to let go of the calculator. Nicodemus, you've got to stop looking at the fuel gauge. I'm the one that's in control. Stop trying to work me out. You've got to lose your set of religion. And Nicodemus does, by the way. By the time you get to the end of this gospel, he loses his religion. He loses it. There is no doubt in my mind that both him and Joseph of Arimathea, when they take Christ and bury him in the tomb in view of everybody they don't care what the consequences are and the consequences were that you would be removed whenever we try to formulise God we are, we, we are in a sense reducing him you remember, remember in Exodus when Moses goes up the mountain he's up there for 40 days and you know Israel comes to Aaron and they say to Aaron you know what this guy's been up there for 40 days we don't even know if he's coming back he hasn't eaten or anything and he's probably had a shave or a wash so we don't want him back but but he's been up there for 40 days we don't know whether he's coming back make us a god they say make us something that we can worship and what do they do Aaron gets Aaron gets the gold and he makes a calf and what have they done in that instant they have got a god that they can control you see when they first get to the mountain God comes down on the mountain and in all of his glory and presence and they say to Moses you go up the mountain champ we'll wait here and what are they saying to Aaron? We want a God that we can control. We want a God that we can we can work out in our minds. We want to worship. We'll dance all night to something that we can control. It's reducing God down to an image. Let's keep reading. How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? What's Jesus saying to Nicodemus? You're a teacher in Israel and you don't understand spiritual renewal, Nicodemus? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. You can always tell somebody who's deep in religion and you can always tell if you are relying on your religion when you're trying to maintain control. Jesus says, but you do not receive our testimony. It's, it's an affront to the people of Israel. It's an affront mostly to the Pharisees. We come with a testimony, but you will not receive our testimony. Religion says I can save myself. I can, 
I can do, I can, I can read extra chapters of the Bible. I, I, I'll go to more prayer meetings. I'll, I'll make sure I go to more church services. I'll, I'll smile at that person that I really don't like. And if I do all of these things, then God will accept me. We don't work towards acceptance. I've got some good news for you. You're already accepted in God's sight. Nothing you can do will increase that in any way, shape or form. But you can receive him. Salvation looks like we work from acceptance. The grace of God compels me, says Paul. He was compelled by the grace of God in view of what God had done for him. Let's finish out this section at the moment as we come to if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things you're still stuck in a in the wrong room Nicodemus no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him and we know that John uses that word believe in such a bigger way than just what you agree with in your mind this looks like throwing your complete trust and confidence in a person that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What is Jesus talking about when he speaks about Moses and the serpent? There was, there was a time when Israel was grumbling against God and uh, as judgment, the snakes are sent amongst the people and they're biting people and people are perishing. And they come to Moses and they say, do something, save us. And Moses reaches out to God and God says, make a bronze serpent and lift it up on a pole. And what did everybody have to do for that venom to have no effect on them? Look, every single one of us have a venom coursing through our veins until such time as we look upon the Son of Man that was lifted up. C.H. Spurgeon would say that our responsibility in salvation is to look. Where are we looking? Nicodemus is looking at himself. How am I going to save myself? Where's the anti-venom? I need, to, I need to concoct an anti-venom here. And you don't have to concoct anything. You just have to look to the one who will be lifted up. We all know the next verse, don't we? Chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's the gospel. J.I. Packer was asked to sum up the gospel in one sentence and he used scripture to do it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if you finish that verse, Paul would say, of which I am the chief. And we have to give him a bit of a relaxation because he hadn't met me when he wrote that line. (laughs) Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We complicate the uncomplicated. Christ Jesus came to save us. We're all sinners. We can't save ourselves. That's why he needed to come. Relationship with God is possible. You can know the presence of God. You can encounter God. You can do just what the psalmist encourages everyone to do, and that is to taste and see that he is good right now. And you don't have to do anything except believe in him. Jesus said, you can't get back to God The, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I gave the analogy of the mayonnaise. Who here likes mayonnaise? I, guilty as charged. I like mayonnaise. I shouldn't, but I do. I like mayonnaise. But 
Mayonnaise doesn't make sense to me because we have two competing elements that in the natural don't work together, do they? Water and oil. What happens when you put water and oil together? There's, there's, oh, there's an affront. But what happens when you introduce egg? All of a sudden, that oil and water that can't stand each other, all of a sudden they mix and there's union. Jesus is our egg. Jesus is what makes mayonnaise. You take, you take Jesus out, you've just got oil and water. If you add Jesus, you have reconciliation. That's why Paul says that we are in Christ. Now I can't tell the difference. What happens when you look at mayonnaise? I can't look at mayonnaise and say, there's the egg, there's the oil and there's the water. It's all just one now. It's an amazing thing that God has done. It's an amazing thing that God has done. As I finish, I'd like to come to what I think is one of the saddest verses in this gospel. The other one is when, at the end of the gospel, in chapter 19, where they say, <clears throat> where the, the high priest says, we have no king but Caesar. And now, verse 19, 18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here it is. And this is judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness. And I can't understand this. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The light has come and they don't want anything to do with it because they prefer their darkness. And they don't have to. They don't have to remain in darkness. Nobody, nobody has to remain in darkness. For the, the gospel is the greatest medicine for the religious people. If you think Pharisees ended in the first century, think again. Pharisees are alive in the world. They just wear different clothes in churches today. There's an element of Pharisee most likely in all of us. There's an element of, I want to do it myself. I'll take care of myself. I'll, I can earn my way to God. As we finish out <clears throat> this section, it says, chapter, verse 20, sorry, it says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Here's, here's the wonderful nature of the gospel. You ever been to the doctor <clears throat> and you've got outward symptoms and they say, I'm going to send you for an ultrasound or an X-ray or an MRI? Some of us have had this a few times. You know, religion takes care of the symptoms on the outside to some degree. Religion tries to put band-aids on a broken arm. But what the gospel does is it puts us before an x-ray machine and we can see the actual cause. And Nicodemus has been putting band-aids on broken limbs like every other Pharisee for centuries, making everything on the outside look as though it's okay. But on the inside, the bone is still broken. And who knows, it hurts when God resets the bones. When God, the greatest surgeon, <clears throat> does his work on us. I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come back and, and tinkle now as I bring this to a close. You know what? The truth is that the gospel exposes us. The person of Jesus Christ exposes us all. It brings us all into the light. We stand before God's x-ray machine. And you know what? <clears throat> when you stand before God's x-ray machine, 
You can't see religion. You know when you stand before an x-ray machine, you can mostly only see the bones. You can't see the flesh and the muscle and all that. You can't, you can't see any of that. You get to the heart of the matter. And if you're, sta- if you're here this morning and you're standing before God's x-ray machine and you say, you know what? I need to drop some religion or... I need to deal with this problem. Then I make the altar open for you this morning. If there's anything you need prayer for, then the altar's open and we're willing to pray with you. But can we just stand as I pray in his presence this morning? Father, we stand together this morning in your presence and we so thank you for Jesus. We so thank you that what we could not do you have accomplished for us. Jesus, I thank you that you are the egg that makes the mayonnaise and allows us to be one with God again. I pray that every single person would be whole. Every single person in this place this morning would leave here whole. We don't have to leave here broken. We don't have to leave here clinging to formulas and and systems and programs. But may we leave here this morning clinging to a God that we can encounter personally. And as we saw last week, individually. Father, I thank you so much for your grace upon each and every one of us. Grace that accepts us when we are unacceptable. A mercy that loves us when we are unlovable. And you forgive us, O God, when we were unforgivable. Father, I pray right now, in the wonderful name of Jesus, that we each would encounter you more and more throughout our week. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.